Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. And now, here is your host, the lovely, delightful, insightful, and all-around great gal, Ms. Barbara DeLong. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Nightlight. We've had a little bit of a rocky beginning, but uh, I think we're going to be okay now. It appears that everything is functional, and our, my guest is in the queue, so I think we're, we're go, all for go. I want to uh, thank Ken Quiethawk, first off, for that amazing intro. He is uh, an amazing native storyteller, and he and his wife have an amazing website called nativestorytellers.com. Please check it out because they are uh, a magical group of people, and it's really, really important that we not forget that tradition. So imagine a book of love stories that is actually a book about dying Imagine a book that assists families, friends, doctors, and nurses in making end-of-life illnesses less stressful and more filled with love. Loving to the end and on a guide to the impossibly, impossibly possible combines both of these into one. Lynn B. Robinson, Ph.D., uses her skills and experiences as a business professional, management consultant, hospice volunteer, intuitive and afterlife death communicator to weave exceptional, intimate, complex, and physical end-of-life stories with transitional possibilities. It's an amazing book, um, and, and I, I encourage everyone to check out her website. She's at www.lynnrobertson.com. The book is a fantastic book, and it's the kind of book that people probably might not pick up but really should because we all are going to experience not only death but but being around ones that we love who are going on that journey ahead of us. And this book is an amazing uh, collection of stories and insights and wisdoms and it's also an amazing resource for more information if you need it. It, it makes the, the whole process a little more understandable, and it is an encouraging, delightful, enlightening book 
strange as the topic may seem. So welcome to the show, Lynn. Thanks so much for making the second time round with me. Well, I'm glad we made it work. And I, but I do need to correct one thing real quickly. The sure. website is lynnbrobinson.com. And oh, the B yeah. in the middle is important because there is another Lynn Robinson who is also intuitive and writes similar books. Oh, my goodness. Well, let's, let's yeah. go for the B. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Lynn B. Robinson.com. Yeah, I, I, I have to tell you, I, I am so grateful that you wrote this book because I think it, it helps people to understand so much better the process of what happens when, when this process begins in someone's life. Thank you. Um, I hope it will do that for people, and and I also hope it will open people up to talking about their own experiences. So many people have had them and and been a little bit afraid, Barbara, to talk about them and fearing that somebody would think they were weird. That's changing as, you know, more comes out about near-death experiences and more doctors and nurses even are, are willing to talk about it. But there's still a reticence among a lot of people um, afraid to talk about the incredibly loving things that happen as people die because, as you said in the introduction, they do, and also afraid to talk about um, getting clues from people who are no longer in their physical bodies about what's mm-hmm. going on. It's a, it's a really exciting opportunity. I know that sounds weird, but it is. <laughs> Well, after, you know, I've had a couple of very close people close to me pass over, and I, I think one of the things that is that is so amazing, if you are open for the signals, for the magic that happens during this time frame, and it is magic. It is, it is people crossing into another dimension, and it, it's an exceptional journey to stand by and watch as someone, you know, I mean, I'm not saying go to the hospital and watch people die, but I am saying that when, <laughs> when, when somebody close to you is going through that transition, the, the changes they're going through, is, it's, it's like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. That's a and beautiful it, analogy. It, it, and and it, it is amazing. I know when, um, when my aunt was, was passing away, my mother went and was with her, and she, she had been ill for a long time. My, my uncle had been ill for a long time, and she was sitting with my aunt, and my aunt started to, to chuckle. And my mother said, you know, Mary, what's so funny? And, and she said, well, I was just talking to grandma, great-grandma, and great-aunt uh, Anna, and great-aunt Anna had a great sense of humor, and she was telling me a story. And my mother said, Really? What was the story? And my, my aunt looked at her and said, oh, don't be silly. You were there, too. Now, they were all gone. <laughs> you know? so, and my mother said, well, tell me the story. And she said, oh, no, you know the punchline now, so it wouldn't be funny at all. And so she never found out what the story was. <laughs> but isn't it wonderful that your mother said, tell me? Because there are so many instances, and in the research that I did for the book and in talking to so many people individually and in first person, it's it's sad to me when I find that um, someone who is dying says something like what what you just um, repeated, and 
And the person standing there says, oh, you're imagining that. Oh. Yeah, it happens a lot. And it, it's so much more fun and it's so much more enlightening and it's so much more encouraging to the person who is dying when you can say, tell me about that. Oh, gosh, yeah, and that, that veil, you know, right before they go, it gets so so thin that they go back and forth and back and forth. And and if they are able to talk, if they, I mean, you can't pump them for, for answers, but you can listen more carefully and, and be more cognizant of the fact that, that they are not all here, that part of them is already on the other side. And, and you can get, you know, some kind of hints as to what's going on there. I mean, not enough to write a book probably, but, but, but you've done that. But, but it, it's just, it, it makes it a process that, that everybody, it, it's sort of like childbirth. If you have never been through childbirth, you cannot understand it. And it's something that you, you are experiencing all on your own, even though, if you're lucky, you're surrounded by not doctors and nurses and all sorts of other people. But, but you're on that trip all by yourself. And that's what death is like. It, it's, and it's, it's very nice, though, when someone who is dying invites you into the conversation with others. This is one of the stories in my book that I just love, and it's one that I read. It's not one that, that I shared with somebody personally, but uh, a nurse um, who was working in a hospice, I think it was in a hospice ward, um, was meeting a patient for the first time. She was new on that ward or that, that rotation, and as she was standing there talking to him, he said, you're going to have to excuse me now. They've come for me. And uh-huh. she said, oh, really? And he, she said, uh, and who are they? And he said, well, I'll introduce you. And if my memory is correct, if it's not, somebody will read the book and want to correct me. But um, he said, well, this is my wife. And then he pointed to the other side of the a little further over in the room, and he said, and there's our Savior. Ah. And, and he was Christian, and um, he was speaking, I assume, as Christ, because he simply said, and there's our Savior. And she said, well, thank you very much. And then she left the room to go turn in her information at the nursing station, put it into the records in the nursing station. And she came back to check on him 10 or 15 minutes later, and he was indeed gone. Yeah, they had no, it, for him. Those stories are just, um, I had a, a lady that I, I, I met with a lot, and she was a nurse in a, in the burn ward, and she had um, th- there were, there were two men who had been in a severe fire um, together, and they were in separate rooms, and they they didn't want to tell the one that his his friend had passed away, and so you know they their my friend was new on the floor and. You know, they they told her just just say that he's sleeping, that he isn't here yet, and you know, he's not awake, and and so it it went on for a day or so, and finally the the gentleman that was still uh, still here said, you know, I've been talking with Tom, Tom was the guy in the other room, and mm-hmm. he says it's time for us to get out of here, and she said to him, well, if you think it's time, then then maybe the two of you should sort of wander off, and as she she left the room and she turned and she looked back at it and she literally saw a fog or a light raise up out of the bed and move over and merge with another 
light or fog that was in the room as well and and they just they they dissipated and he was gone and she turned to the other nurse that was at the desk and the other nurse said oh you'll see that a lot it's the way it happens and you you know he and his friend went on together and it was just it was beautiful and i know it was sad and of course it was sad for their families but but just knowing i think what what your book does and what it it if someone reads it with an open mind, it gives you a confirmation that this is not the end. This is merely a way station. Well, that's why I say um, ask people early in the book to, as they read it to suspend their disbelief. Well, absolutely. I mean, it just... Uh, just and, and yet there are, suspend it. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, modern science today is is coming closer and closer and closer to you know, at least acknowledging that there's a possibility that maybe this kind of thing happens because of all the work that they've done with near-death experiences. That's, I mean, that's for certain. But you know what? Centuries ago, past generations, do you remember hearing or reading the stories of the people who were buried in wooden caskets and they would have a stick coming up out of the casket with a bell on it, and there was a cord on it into the casket. And if the cemetery keeper heard a bell ring, they would dig up the coffin. And and it was usually someone who had come back to life. Wow. Or was buried prematurely. Now, we, they didn't have as good a measurement as we do now. But I, I would have a hunch that given all of the data that's been collected now and the hundreds of thousands of cases of near-death experiences where they were declared dead and then, again, were not, um, according to the to the death measurements, that the same kind of thing happened, you know, centuries ago. And that was their solution. Yeah, that would, that would be a fright. There was a, a very rich gentleman in California, and I think he was involved in movies, but I'm not positive, but he he had a fear of being buried alive, and so he had a mausoleum, and there was a telephone line into the mausoleum, so so that he. Now could that one I hadn't heard. That's amazing. <laughs> no, that was. I, I think it goes back to the to the 30s, and he was just so terrified that he would be locked in that mausoleum that he had a telephone buried with him that was live, and and according to his will, they paid the bill so that the the phone would be active for at least 10 years after his passing, just in case. Ten years? Yeah. That that is amazing. That's, wow. He wanted to have an out. But but I I think that one of the things also your your book helps people to do is for those that are are caring for these people, for those who are... um, you know the caregivers it it gives them first of all a a comfort because you do you do get into some of the things to watch for and how to deal with people as their memories slip back in time or forward in time or or just you know transition to another place how to deal with them and how not to correct them and how to go along with them no matter what, no matter where they think they are. Well, you know, so long as it's legal and, and not, you know, not against your moral whatevers. 
Yeah. You know, I'm, I often think of a story that a friend t- told me about his father, who actually is a pretty famous scientist in the United States. And um, it was his stepmother who was dying. And these are highly intellectual people, all of them. And the the um, the his stepmother was dying and in a coma. And so his father didn't go into the office. He did most of the things via computer from his home. And he would sit by by his wife's bed and read to her for an hour or two a day and usually read a book that they had enjoyed together. And she'd been in a coma for a while, and he was reading to her from the Tibetan Book of the Dead and got to the to the part of the book about the bardo, which is sort of an in-between phase that's, that's discussed. And as he was reading to her from that section of the book, she opened her eyes for the first time in a couple of days, sat up and said, I want to tell you about that. That's where I am. And she proceeded to talk to him about that. And he had a conversation with her. She closed her eyes, laid back down. She never opened them again. She died a few days oh, later. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's our, our, the spirit is is amazing and if if you are aware that you know if if you are open to the to the <clears throat> a possibility that it's the spirit that moves on and you know gets another vehicle and you know another life at another point in time then it isn't so frightening i i know that that um there have been people that just you know knew exactly where they were going and and of course that's where they went um, I, I mean, I, I'm not talking hell, but I'm talking, you know, it, it's it's sort of like whatever you are comfortable with perceiving appears to be where you go. But I know a long time ago, um, my husband and I uh, did a, a whole series of shows on near-death experiences and talked to people that had had a near-death experience. And I will I will never forget this one young girl who had tried to commit suicide any number of times and and she did well. She did. She did. But she came back, and she was telling us about how she flew. And she said, "You don't understand what it's like. You're not surrounded by love. You're not embraced by love. You're not touched by love. You are love. And that's why people don't want to come back when they do." It's interesting that you said to me that she flew. I've had that experience without having to die. Um, it's called an out-of-body experience. Uh-huh. I, I was uh, meditating. I was in Sedona, Arizona, which is just this most beautiful area, the, you know, the natural beauty, and sitting on mm-hmm. a cliff and um, w- was with a few friends and meditated for a little bit and realized at some inner level that... I was flying with my mother, who was deceased, and it was just the most incredible feeling. It was, there was so much love involved, so much passion involved, so much fun in this experience of flying and being with her. Though, I mean, I, she was not as she had been when she was alive in a body, but I knew immediately that that's who I was uh-huh. with. And then I, I heard someone saying, 
come on, Lynn, it's time to leave. And one of my friends who was there was saying that. And with that, I whooshed back into into my body, realized there were tears running down my face. I had not felt them because I had not been in the body, feeling the body. And mm-hmm. I was very cramped from having sat there in the same position. And, and then I had to, you know, come back into my body, realize where I was, get up and walk around for a few minutes. But it's something I've never forgotten. It was just absolutely overwhelming. And in the book, there's the story of, uh, about my friend Hugh, and um, he didn't believe in any of this sort of stuff. The story's about visiting him in the hospital when he was dying and a lot that had to do with that and about uh, his own life and um, and then about, I've forgotten now if it was eight or nine years after he died, having a dream with him. Now, he didn't believe in this sort of stuff. So when he <laughs> came to me and I was in, in dream time, I was, but I became very much aware. It's called lucid dreaming. And uh-huh. I, there he was. And I was really surprised because that's something, a set of beliefs that we didn't really share, though he was a very, very smart guy. At any rate, in this dream, he took me to what I call in the book to metaphysical night school, for lack of a, of a better term. We went to some sort of class together where we were learning things uh, that were metaphysical. When I awakened, I didn't remember the specifics of what we learned except what I repeat in the book that um, – um, let's see, how do I say it in the book? Um, um, well, they'll have to read the book. Essentially, <laughs> there's no, love is, is forever. It, it's, um, it is always there. It is the most important thing. And that's what I came back with from mm-hmm. being with, with my friend, um, who, when he was in body, he had nothing to, to do. Anger can burn itself up. Love is indestructible. <laughs> That's what it says in the book. Anger can burn itself up. Love is mm-hmm. indestructible. Is is that the one that, that his last words to you was that he loved you too and he had never said that before? Yes. As he was okay. dying. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, his brother had called me to come to a city about 60 miles away because and and uh well actually for him to talk to me on the phone but his voice was so weak that I I really couldn't hear him and I didn't think I could get there to the weekend and then I decided to I had a couple of hours and actually it took more than that cuz it's almost an hour drive there <clears throat> so I went over there visited with him said I'd be back on the weekend told him you know I love you I'd never told him that before he said the same although we'd been very good friends for many 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 years and uh, shortly after I got home, uh, I looked at the phone, and there was a message, and his brother had called to say he died just a few minutes after I left. You know, there are so many stories um, about, about you know, around people's passing. So many, um, it, it's almost as though there's an energy that goes out, and, and it, it sometimes they visit people who... who um, who are close to them. Sometimes there's a message of some sort. It's it's. I know that when my my husband was dying um, of cancer, um, I I really did not want to see him go. I you know I I just 
I, it it was something that, that that I just didn't think I could bear. And I was sitting with him, and I was talking to him, and he was in the hospital. He he was in a coma, and um, and I heard a voice, and it said, "Go home now." And now, anytime I hear stuff like I question it, you know, but I didn't question it. It wasn't his voice; it was just a voice that said, "Go home now." And I got up and I went to the nurse's station and I said, um, I have to go home and walk the dog and feed the cats, but I'll be right back. And if there's anything, if there's a change or a shift or anything, you know, please call me. I got home and there was a call from the nurse and she said he passed away just after you left. And it was like, whoa. <laughs> well, it, it, I'm really glad you told me that story because in my experience, there are times when the person who is dying knows that the person who is with them just really would have a hard time with the actual death, mm-hmm. like couldn't bear to be there. Maybe they don't yeah. think so, but the dying person knows. I've had a relative in my own family that happened, and she left to go home and take a shower and change clothes. And he and he died. Um, I, I've so, heard, yeah, it, yeah. It's it, it's common. They they often say, you know, they they wait for the room to be empty before they go, or you know, it it it's different with each scenario. But there are times when when there is just so much of a an intuitive link between everybody concerned. Um, my mother came down the stairs at at our house one 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 time, and she said, oh. It smells like a funeral home here, and her brother had just died. Wow! And wow! So you know, and and my mom was was uh, though though I'm very involved in metaphysics and do all of this stuff. She was not. I mean, she was very she was very um, accepting of it all. But um, and, and I looked at her and I said seriously, and you know, she said, "Yeah, something something's up," and. Um, you know, it, it's to be able to experience those kind of um, things happening, and and it's possible for everybody to experience them. It's not you don't have to be special; you just have to be open-minded. Um, I think you're right. And, and and by the way, in addition to people um, waiting for someone to leave to die, they also uh-huh. sometimes wait for somebody to get there. Oh yeah. That that happens a lot, also. It, it, can, I had, it just depends yeah. on what their loved ones want, and they seem to often be able to accommodate what their loved one prefers, even uh, prefers in in their core, not necessarily consciously or what they might say, mm-hmm. but really what they want. And the loved one seems to know that. It's just phenomenal. You were talking about your mother, you know, saying it smells like death. I have a uh, had a good friend, she's died now, who always knew when someone was dying and, and she um, was no longer living in her hometown and she would know when a relative and so she would call someone and say, you need to go see Aunt so-and-so or go check on Uncle so-and-so. I, I, I think the end is near. And the one night she awakened in her home here 
with the feeling someone's dying, you know, or someone has just died, and she couldn't place it. She didn't. She couldn't get the person in her mind as she normally could with her family. And early in the morning, but it, it, you know, after sunrise, the phone rang, and it was the neighbor across the street who said, oh, "I know you're an early riser, and my husband just died an hour or so ago, and and I just needed to somebody to call." Ah. Oh. And it's she just, was, yeah, she was there for her neighbor. Now, well, you know, I wonder if the husband who died might not in? have been the one who nudged my friend that his wife needed her. I mean, there is an intuitive network that connects all of us. And some people are you know, aware of it and use it, and some people don't believe in it, so for them it doesn't exist. And for those that do believe in it, I mean, I mean, come on, we're we're able to to communicate intuitively um, with friends and and send and receive messages if you really work at it. So it would seem to me that in a time of stress, in a time when someone has let go the moral coil, so to speak, so to speak. That that network is still available to them. Sure. And um, and I've had I've had people that have you know the phone has rung and it's been a relative's number that's there but nobody's on the line and they've just passed away. I mean it it happens all the time. And you know I'm I'm grateful for your book because you're putting a lot of these stories out there for people to to understand that it's it's not a fluke, it's not a coincidence. It's truly the fact that some people are availing themselves of of that particular network that's out there and and saying goodbye, saying, you know, I'm okay, saying, you know, it's just so beautiful here, you can't believe it. Um whatever it's 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 we don't ha- our our communication with the loved one does not stop when they no longer are physically on this plane. And I that's certainly true in my experience. And but you know even so and we you started out talking about this a little bit too. You don't in reading my book, you don't have to accept this pathway for communication. I I hope that more and more people do because it can be so incredibly satisfying and beautiful. But even if you don't, there's a lot in the book to just help you um, enjoy, that's a weird word to use, but enjoy the last weeks, months, days, hours with someone rather than dread it. Having said that, there is a lot of pain that you may have to notice or be aware of or help tend to, but interwoven with that is all of this opportunity for the most amazing intimacy perhaps the strongest intimacy of an entire lifetime together. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, uh, it's terrible. Well, it's not terrible. In my case, a sense of humor helped tremendously. Um, My mother hadn't smoked for almost 35 years and two or three days before she passed, she looked at me and said, did you see where I left my cigarettes? Oh, I love and, it. And I just, I just kind of looked at her and I said, what? She said, where are my cigarettes? And I said, 
I guess they're where you left them. And she said, I just, I just can't remember where I put them. And I said, well, we'll find them. Do you want me to go look? And she, she asked me to go look, and I went looking. And I said, you know, I can't find them, Mom. Do you have a spare pack someplace? And she said, yeah, but I can't remember where it is. And I said, well, do you want me to go buy you some? And she said, nah, I, I really don't need one. I should stop. I said, yeah, it's probably a good idea. <laughs> and isn't it fun that you could enjoy that? Oh, my God. It was it, – it, I, I have often threatened to write a book called When the Marbles Start to Roll because and and there were many times where you know I would I would get a bag of marbles and give it to her and she the first time she said what's all this I said your marbles are rolling all over the place I figured I'd pick them up and give them back to you and and by the end of her life there was a big bowl of marbles she had and she actually played with them no she just had them by her bed and and Every now and then when I would look at her strangely, she said, don't look at me like that. I have all my marbles there right over there in that bowl. <laughs> and <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. I, I, I have to, I, you know, life with her, even when she was going into dementia, even when she didn't know me, um, there was always, you know, a, a gentle sweet kind of humor connected to everything that was going on. I mean, there were days where she didn't know who I was and and you know, she'd just look at me and say, "I know I know who you are." And I'd say, "Well, who did you like the best?" Cuz that's who I'll be today. And um you know, we we would play and you know, if they're going through a time of confusion to try to correct them, to try to make them right or normal, it's just not fair. I mean, you you play along with them, you know, so long as they're not making a break for it or something, and and you kind of give them a sense of they're not alone, that that you know there's somebody there with them that isn't judging them, that isn't trying to make them be something they don't feel anymore. Yes, I I agree with you, and and you've reminded me of another of the stories that I that I've put in the book, uh, where I was really complimenting the caregivers that we had for my father. Um, he was ninety eight, died at ninety eight and a half, and um, the last six months we had caregivers within you know around the around the clock actually, and um, there was a, a morning. He always liked to have a. a a drink in the evening before supper, a toddy, a mm-hmm. bourbon and water. And he awakened in the morning and said that was – and he took a nap in the morning and a nap in the afternoon at, at the end. So he'd get up in the morning, have breakfast. He'd be up for a little while, take a nap, get up, have lunch, um, be up for a little while, take a nap. And that was – and then have a, a toddy and supper and be up for a little while and go to bed. And that was the pattern. So he awakened in the morning and he, he looked at his caregiver and said, that was a really nice nap. Um, I think I'm ready for my toddy. And she said, oh, okay, well, we'll we'll get that. <laughs> and she did, and then he was ready for supper. So she fixed him supper. Uh-huh. And then the next caregiver came in and she told him what had gone on. And after supper, which, of course, was his breakfast, um, he said it was time for his nap, and, and he repeated that 
all day. And that day he oh, he woke up to supper three times. <laughs> and he and he had a toddy each time. And it was never repeated. Wow. It wasn't something that happened again and he woke up and he wanted three drinks of bourbon during the day. That wasn't it at all. He literally thought he had had a nap and that it was supper time. Breakfast, lunch, and supper were all supper time. And the caregivers went along with it, which was fabulous because he didn't get frustrated. He didn't get Mm -hmm. upset. He just had his supper. (laughs) And he wasn't confused. No. Well, he was because he didn't know what time of day it was, even though he could still read a clock. But he well, yeah, but he wasn't confu- he wasn't confused about the fact that he was confused. Right, right, exactly, and 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 that's just fabulous, you know, fabulous. And another, I tell the story in there, you know, about my grandmother and what she wanted to eat, and and at the end, you know, it it really doesn't matter as long as it's no. not something that's going to make them have stomach cramps or whatever. If they don't want to eat, don't make them eat. If they mm-hmm. want, you know, ice cream with cake. In fact, when my mother died, she and she was really sort of in and out of consciousness. She died a painful death of, from from cancer. But um, it was her birthday, and there was a caregiver with her. She was at home with hospice care, which and hospice care is so wonderful. I hope your listeners mm-hmm. know that that hospice take so much pressure off of the family. Some people think that, no, you know, they just give drugs and da-da-da. Well, they do. They give whatever the the physician prescribes so that a person can be comfortable. There can be pain with some of the, the debilitation that comes with the dying process. And so hospice can, you know, can get what you need and tell you the dosage and even administer it and all that sort of thing. But... Uh-huh. Um, so mother mother was on hospice care, but also had people there with her. And she woke and she awakened, and she, she, they said, do you want anything to eat? She couldn't talk very much. But for whatever reason, because the caregiver didn't know it was her birthday, she the mother mostly liked two things at the end. She liked onion soup, which a good friend mm. fixed for her, and peppermint ice cream. And in analyzing that over the years, I think she could taste them, Uh whereas more bland food she could not have tasted. So those were the two things that she liked. So I think the caregiver decided, you know, there's milk and ice cream, whatever. And always I had baked a cake for Dad, you know, a bunt cake and no icing. And, and she had done it for years, and so I continued to do it. And the caregiver sprinkled a little bit of cake on her ice cream, and so she had ice cream and cake when she awakened that morning. Normally, uh-huh. that close to death, people aren't very hungry, and they don't eat. And that's because everything is shutting down. And mm-hmm. the body really can't accommodate food and doesn't want to digest it. And um, at any rate, so I always liked that the caregivers were so sensitive to that. And then she had ice cream and cake on her birthday, which was also her death day. She died on her wow. birthday. Having well, had ice cream and cake. <laughs> <laughs> Good for her. 
you know, no. so you just you do what what's comfortable for everybody, and and um, and even though you know she had a lot of pain, it was she when they're still there to hug and kiss. If you like to hug and kiss, you do it. Um, oh yeah. The, the two daughters of one of my best friends who who died a few years ago, they they. Oh, they were so they were so cute. The mother was fastidious about her appearance, and they took makeup to the hospital, and they kept her hair brushed and a little bit of makeup on because they knew that she would want that. And uh-huh. they also curled up in bed with her and would just lie, take turns lying in bed with her. Ah, uh, now that's a that, you know that's that's a wonderful intuitive thing for them to have done i i know so many people are so frightened of death which you know is is about as natural as birth um that that you know they're afraid of it and they veer away from it and and they don't it's 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 a time where you are transcending into another life and and it's a natural process and to have people try to bring them back to normal or bring them back or, or keep them from, you know, going to a place that they will be free from pain. You know, it, it, it's a frightening thing. You know, you know, people don't want to let go of people that they love. They want them to stay. And, you know, and often they do stay, you know, but but it seems to me that if people understood that they were really, it, it, it's a wonderful process that they're going through, even if it's it's, with an illness or something like that, it's the only way the spirit gets free to move on to the next level, the next realm, the next, the next dimension. And it's it's important for people to be comfortable with the process so that they can help them with the process, not not kill them, but 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 be a companion to them as far as they can, so that so that there's there's company there, there's acceptance there, there's there's love there. There's companionship as long as they need it. Well, it, it's not only for them. It's for the person they're doing the loving of the one who's leaving. I Absolutely. Mean, yeah. Um, it's it's your your opportunity to just pack in as much as you possibly can, and it can really feel good if you if you let it. If you, I mean it. It's. It can also it can feel good and hurt at the same time, like with my friend in the first chapter and well in the second chapter I talk about how she reached out to me and said I don't want to live this way because she was in so much pain, and mm-hmm. of course that just tore me up, but I could still be there and hold her hand and say I know you don't and and just be there with her and and um, enjoy all that. She has come back to talk to me a few times since she left her body. Um, it's not as often as I'd like, but I'm sure she has the stuff that she needs to do. And it's usually been when something has been happening in her family with her children and her grandchildren that she's dropped in to pass a message on. <laughs> well, so I'm glad, <clears throat> I'm glad for whatever messages I get. Well, and, and also the, that when people are close to passing over, that there are visitations often. And if you're sensitive 
and 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 have an open mind, you can sense when there are other energies around. You can you can feel them and and know that there is a support for the person that is making that transition, so that they're not alone. You know, once they once they leave here, they they are taken and they are guided on the other side. I guess better best word to say. Yeah. Based on what I know, and there's so much more to know than I do know, and I look forward to learning all the good stuff about it, um, I don't think anyone goes alone. I think everyone. No, oh, no. <clears throat> I, I, yeah. I totally agree. I, but, but those of us that are you know, still on this side, you know, sometimes feel great, you know, pangs of, of, you know, oh, I should have been there or whatever. They were all alone. No, 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 no. They, you know, it happens the way it's supposed to happen. And, and uh, you know, I, I feel badly when, when people are racked with guilt that they didn't do or say something or the, the right thing or whatever. Um, it's, it's, I mean, there's love in, in this whole process and that love is a compassionate um unconditional love that doesn't judge so that so that you know you you're not going to have karmic debt because you did something wrong if you did the best you could that's that's all you can be asked to do I well I, I totally agree with you and yet there there does seem to be some sort of a life review to help you learn what you did well and Things that you might learn to do better. Mm-hmm. I, I I often laugh. There was a a meeting uh, here in Mobile of some kind. I've I've forgotten what it was, and Danian Brinkley was one of the speakers at this meeting, and he's had a number of near death experiences and continues to work, I think, with veterans groups because he was in the military, and and I believe it was in the military where he had his near-death experiences. And, and when I remember when I when I met him, um, and I'm I'm not a small person. I'm I'm tall and hefty, and and but he's he was even taller and more muscular and so forth. At any rate, um, he they introduced. He didn't shake hands with me. He just put his arms around me, hugged me, and literally lifted me off of the floor. And when he put me down, he said, now I guess I better tell you why I did that. And I said, okay. I mean, my eyes were big. And he said, well, <laughs> he said, um, because I died the first time and um, I experienced all the things that I had done and the feelings I had had and the feelings other people were having in relation to me. And I died again, and, you know, that happened again. And he said, so... I wanted you to feel good because when I die, I'm going to feel good about hugging you, and I'm going to want you to have felt good so I can have my feel good and your feel good too. (laughs) Fantastic. I loved it. I've never forgotten it. That was years ago. It was years ago. I mean, everybody's, you know, there are so many um, different stories about what what near death experiences are. I, I know there's a, there are tons of books now written about it where where you know it was it was thought to be a hallucination years ago, and yet 
um, they are proving that that people. I mean, there, it, I think there's a scientist or a doctor that has written a book about his near-death experience, and he was clinically dead and then came back. So there are a number of physicians who have had that experience and have written their own books, and there are also a number of nurses who have done so. Raymond Moody, who is a physician, was uh, was the uh, doctor who coined the term near-death experience. Uh-huh. And uh, he has continued to write and do work on on near-death experiences and uh, continues to mentor other people. But there are any number of books now that have been written by physicians and nurses who've had their own near-death experiences, and they're quite phenomenal. And, of course, they're able to talk about them. When they write about them, they um, spend some time usually sort of with clinical observations sometimes from the inside out as well as their clinical observations from the outside in. And and by that I mean from their training and their Mm -hmm. knowledge of life and death is the outside in. But they also give it from the inside out, what happened to them and what their experiences were and how it has changed in many instances their understanding of medical care and their desire to provide a different kind of medical care. So, yeah, you're right. There's there's a lot out there now. I think one of the things that that with you know we interviewed, well, I interviewed a lot of people that have had near death experiences, and um, <clears throat> Patrick left that up to me because he was rather a recluse, and so I had the the opportunity to speak to. Well, a lot of people, but certainly not 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 the you know variety that certainly you have. But I found that that without exception, the experience changed the person's life tremendously, and that that basically they came back with a more loving, a more giving, a more compassionate philosophy on life, and that that to whatever degree was appropriate for them. They made they made sure that in some way they were helping humanity where they might not have before. I would agree with that. Um, I've also had experience with, um, in one instance, as as I said, I started a, a near death um, affiliated group here um, because uh, when I started it twelve or thirteen years ago, people didn't have the opportunities to to express themselves that they do now. And as a near, as an after-death communicator, I, I had a certain resonance with them. So I started the group. One of the people who came, oh, it's been two or three years ago now, so some years after I started it, was a man two states away because I was the clo- we were the closest group here. And he had been a minister and had actually spoken to congregations all over the world. And after his near-death experience the way he wanted to talk to his congregation was very different. And um, they were not as accepting of him, and he didn't didn't feel as comfortable with them, and he, he just decided he needed to find something else to do that would incorporate the near-death experience that he had had more um, completely. So mm-hmm. he... Took um, he took hospice ministerial training, 
and ah. he's now a hospice minister. So he's still a man of the cloth, uh-huh. but he's but he prefers being with those who are in hospice. Well, you know they're they're the closest to the other side as you can get without actually being there. Well, so far as we know, I'm not. Mm, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I think there, there are, are some magic. Yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll give you that. Can, I'm sorry. I, I, I'll, I'll give you that. The there are people that really are able to touch into the other side. There are. Yeah. But, but not a lot. <laughs> not yet, anyhow. Not yet, anyhow. It, yeah. it is. It is. It is a a. That's a real gift. Yeah. Um To be a yeah to be able to, I I think that that. You know, you, you, you call yourself here an end of, um, where is it, um, after-death communicator. Would you consider that mediumship? Probably. I mean, I think other people would. I think some people have um, thought of me as being a medium. I certainly have brought information from people no longer in their bodies to people who are, even from people I don't know to people I don't know. I mean, I can uh-huh. be in a meeting um, and get some information and I mean, just be hounded. I, I will tell you, though, that I've learned to change channels so that, I, I, in fact, <laughs> I've even helped one um, near death or after her experience learn to shut that off. She <laughs> she was so cute after after she got well from her near death experience from whatever the illness was that caused it, and she needed to go back to work and she got a job in a funeral parlor, and she was helping there and everything was fine for a little while until so many of the people whose bodies were there for their uh-huh. funerals. And and the spirits would be near the bodies and the families, and they would they started talking to her so that she could take messages to the families. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and she really needed to learn how to turn it off because she wasn't going to yeah, be able I, to, to continue to work there. So I, I I helped to learn to do that. I don't know. I mean, a medium is just a word. Well, you are a medium. You're between dimensions. I guess. I mean, you know, if you take away the, the the spiritual, the whole thing, if you take away everything, if if you have a foot in each side and can talk to each side, you are the medium through which communication happens. A telephone is a medium. That's true. So, um, but it just, I I just I just like that term. It's you know, after death communicator is. Um, to me, a better term than medium because medium has has had some uncomfortable connotations to it for a lot of people. But but this is a good term. I congratulations. That's uh, <laughs> I've, no, I've, I've looked for a better term than than you know a medium, and that's the best I've seen so far. Well, good. Thank you. I it, mean, um, I, it, you know, in, a, in another phase of my life as a as a management consultant, and I was a management consultant for firms, everything from mom-and-pop shops to Fortune 500 companies, and 
Um, you could say that sometimes I was a medium between management and um, lower level uh-huh. employees, you know, when they didn't understand each other. <laughs> so I was a medium in that sense that um, I could provide information in understandable form from different dimensions within an organization. Do you feel that it's sometimes easier shortly after they have passed away to be able to communicate with them, or or do you find that it's it doesn't matter? Oh, that's a really good question. Let me let me. Um, hmm. Well, I, I guess I just have to go with experience and. It's been equally as good in both ways for me. I mean, for instance, I, I mentioned my my friend Hugh, and he evidently wasn't ready to communicate for years. So the communication, and it's the only communication that I've had with him, was obviously clear years after his death. I think sometimes um, after death, People want to convey messages mm-hmm. to their to their loved ones when the loved ones who are still living are the most upset um have not sort of adjusted to to the absence of their loved one and so i think or maybe there's information they want to get through um to that person like where certain papers are that their mm-hmm. loved one can't find that uh, would be helpful in in either some familial problem or some business problem or whatever. Um, it wasn't really long after the, the wife of a good friend of mine who was also a business colleague, and she was a good friend too, and she died much, much too young, and I was actually lying in my swimming pool relaxing, um, and saw this cloud thing happening in the sky and realized who who was doing all this stuff in the sky. And she wasn't talking to me. I wasn't getting words, but I was getting the essence of her spirit. And she was funny and fun and clever and witty, all of that. And she began showing me all these pictures in the sky. And, that, and it was... For me to get through to her husband and her two daughters separately, that she was fine. She sent intimate messages to both of them. The husband told me that what I had told him, shown him the picture um, was something that only the two of them knew together. Oh, so I've amazing. never shared, you know, what that was with anybody else. And then the other stuff he didn't understand. He said, you'll have to ask one of the girls. And I said, oh, I can't do that. That was early when I started doing some of this sort of thing. But uh-huh. when I did, they knew exactly what I was talking about, and their father had no knowledge of it whatsoever. And I haven't heard from her again. But she had she had been very ill, and, and it, that was difficult for all of them. Her passing was, was rather painful. And so she came through pretty quickly. So I, I think it... I think it depends a lot on what the what the person who is gone thinks their loved ones need and when they need it. Ah, okay. 
because for the most part, when I do that kind of communication, it's someone that has mostly recently passed over. Um, yeah, and the only time... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no I, and the only time that I've had something where someone has been gone for, I mean, 30 or 40 years was was actually with, with my mother. She Her father died the year I was born. And um, he, during World War II, had a dahlia garden. And I thought uh, what, where I lived with my mom, there was a perfect spot in the yard for a dahlia garden. And so I worked on it for months and months and months. And, and finally it was all growing. And, and where we lived, there were streetlights. So I could, I could work through the night because there were streetlights all over the place so that you know, I, I had I had light, and I remember one morning it was probably maybe two or three in the morning, and um, I looked at I was sitting just looking at the garden, and and there was that little mist that comes up from the ground, at, at, you know, as dawn is approaching, so to speak, and I noticed that there was there was smoke that that was above the mist, and I I went in and I woke my mom up. I said, you know, you got to come see this. This is really so magic. And we we walked out, and we were standing on the front stoop, and she said, "What what's that smoke? And I said, you know, I have, I have an idea, but let's go down and walk around the garden. It was a circular garden, and, and it, was, it was pretty big. And we walked around, and as she passed through the smoke, she stood dead still, and she said, that's my father. And I said, is it his? pipe smoke and she said it is and it just surrounded me and it gave me a hug and you know she just stood there and the smoke stayed right right with her for the longest time it was probably like three or four minutes but it felt like forever and she just stood there with tears streaming down her face and 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 say she said "I, i have been thinking about him so much the last couple of days she said, I can't believe that this smells so much like him. And, you know, and, and then it, it, it did finally dissipate, and she went back into bed, and she turned, and she looked at the garden, and she said, I I believe it happened, but I don't believe it happened. Wow. <laughs> and, and, and then how know, many years it, was that after he died? Oh, gosh, it had to be over 40. Wow. Now, that is unusual, except... When, well, you said your mother had been thinking about him, or yeah. when someone is sick, or when something really exciting has happened in a family, those are the times that I'm more aware of people who've been gone that long showing up. Um, yeah, I, I think it was, I think my grandmother was getting was very ill at that time and was probably mm-hmm. getting ready to pass over, but. Um, and so he was, it was coming back to accompany her. Yeah, but but just letting my mother know that that her mother wouldn't be alone. It was it, you know every now and then something magical like that happens, and and usually, as you said, it's it's around a time when there is a trauma or someone is going to pass, and um, and again, it's magical. It's it's. Uh, I mean, it was sad that my mother, that my grandmother passed, but, but it was also magical that that 
and and my my mother said I can't tell anybody about this, but this is just so 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 magical, and she kept See, using the word magic. You, you just said something so important. You said my mother said I can't tell anybody about this, and that's yeah. why you and I are talking now and hoping that others are listening and getting it. Yes, you can talk about it. Mm. Absolutely, it's, and I would bet so that almost everyone talk about it. I I would bet you money that almost every person listening has had something similar to some of the stories that we have talked about happen, and it's important for them to realize that it wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't their imaginations. It wasn't uh, something scary. It was it was love crossing the veil and touching their hearts. Oh, yes, 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 absolutely. But in talking about somebody showing up that many years later, you reminded me of something. That, have you ever heard of Lilydale? I'm an ordained spiritual minister, and yes, I'm okay. familiar with Lilydale. <laughs> okay, and of course there's the uh, Casadega in, in Florida that is the mm-hmm. you know, outgrowth of that, and they both came from England originally, but... Years ago, I had read or heard somehow something about Lilydale, and I was not far from there, and I decided to go. And it's before it had its resurgence. It was really not, as a community, doing well at all when I went there. And it was, I think it was winter, and there were only a couple of mediums in residence. And I was kind of beginning to recognize that part of myself. And so I, I wanted to just, see the grounds and I went to the prayer thing at the stump or wherever it is and then Mm -hmm. as I was getting ready to leave I noticed that there was a sign out at one house that there was a medium in residence so I said what the heck and knocked on the door and it was gone I went in long story short two people showed up to talk to him about me and he described the two and the two people he described the only people I could imagine that they were were my two grandfathers now, mm-hmm. I must have been, I guess, in my 40s at the time. And the only grandfather I remember died when I was four. The other one died when I was an infant. I, was un- I wasn't even two. And so I really mm-hmm. had never known him. I'd only seen pictures of me as a baby that he was holding me. But I knew immediately that's that's who he was and in both of these instances they had had both been dead at least 40 years wow mhm so well, there is very... no time yeah you know there's no time on the other side i am told that, We're that... Gonna... we'll find out yes <laughs> i you know i my my husband and i um he was very much into the paranormal activity, and, and I'm in more to the spiritual metaphysical side of it. And we we actually agreed on just about everything except um, how to eat a steak and reincarnation. <laughs> and so we we decided that you know I believe I believe in reincarnation, and he did not. And so when he was well before he passed over um you know we were talking and finally he said look there's no way we're ever going to settle this and i said oh yes there is 
I said, whoever goes first comes back and tells the other one. And and he looked at me and he said, fine, and we shook on it. Now, I haven't heard from him, so I kind of assume I'm right. And and he's, he just isn't about to admit that there is reincarnation <laughs> even on the other side. <laughs> but well, I it, have it, a hunch you. I have a hunch you'll hear from him in some oblique way that will test you. Oh, most probably, most probably. <laughs> I I have come to understand that you know you never say never because that's just a challenge to the other side, and and that that anything is possible. And if you live long enough and you and you have an open enough mind, you know almost everything is revealed to you. <laughs> and and uh, even. You know, it, it's funny. Somebody asked me, you know, tonight, you know, what was the show on? And I said, oh, um, death. And they said, oh, my God, that sounds so morbid. I said, it's not morbid. It's a joyful celebration of of all sorts of things. And, you know, there's a sadness, of course, connected to it when, when a loved one moves on. But, but, you know, you have your memories, and your memories don't, don't move on. And uh, it's and and the and the love doesn't stop. The love is still connected. It's still there. Um, it's still somebody, there. And you also need to look for things in unusual ways. I I, uh-huh. I did write a, a brief piece about a bird visit that I am uh-huh. convinced was a really good friend of mine. Oh, um, I didn't know until after he had died that. He, for some um, study, he counted the birds that came through his backyard and and identified the species and contributed that information. Now, he also um, was um, an ordained minister and a Ph.D. in uh, something esoteric and taught college and... um, Oh, had done all sorts of amazing things. He could also translate directly from Greek into English when he was translating biblical things. But I had not known about the bird counting and didn't find out about it until I called his either his wife or his sister or both about this experience where it just felt like that this bird was this friend of mine. The bird came to windows on all four sides of my house on two different floors um, and did it for about a week. Wherever I was, he'd come tap on the window until I noticed him and he would fly off. He even tapped on the window in what I call my husband's man cave and got his attention one time. And then um, the last day or two that he did that, there was a female with him and I just cracked up because he and I were in high school together, and the female, I am convinced, was another friend of ours who graduated in in our same class. And just before she died, and I think this is in the book, she told her daughters that the birds had come to get her. Ah. And here are these two birds. I mean, have, have you ever had a bird? Ever? 
that came and tapped on the window until you paid attention and then flew off and did that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. At least eight different windows on four sides no, of your house and two floors. No, you you got you got. I have to admit that that was definitely something other than a coincidence for sure. Um, you you did bring up a really really important question that that um, that I've written on a number of times, and so many times people ask me, "How do I know?" when a loved one is around and and how do I know that it's really a loved one and not just my imagination and there are a number of of classic ways of of knowing that and I I I, I was going to ask you what your your ways of knowing were and I'll throw in in mine and to give the people some idea as to the different ways spirits have chosen to let people know that they're around mm the um well that was a, a silly funny one that I just told you this there's one in the book in my book where um I mentioned with a cousin of mine as she was dying and we talked about, you know, how are you gonna let me know that you're okay once you once you uh-huh. are gone? And she had said, Look for the butterflies and yeah. when she was buried, um sort of in a family, uh, some land that the family owns sort of out in a rural area. Um, During the service, at least 100 yellow butterflies swarmed through and around those of us who were standing there for the prayer service and over the area where she was being buried and flew away. It was not particularly... (laughs) <laughs> Why particularly the season for those yellow butterflies either? Well, lots of times it's it's something happening out of the norm that you, that you don't expect. Um, it, it it can often be, you know, butterflies or grasshoppers or praying mantises. Um, it, it can be birds turning up out of season. It can be feathers that that. That fall where where there is no there have been no birds. One of the one of the classic ones that that a lot of people I know have have experienced is finding pennies where there's no there's no way they could possibly have manifested. Um, three days after my husband passed away, I was changing the bed and I had everything ripped off because I was going to put new stuff all on. And when I, I had the bed totally stripped, and I went to put the bed pad on, and there, right in the center of the side of the bed that he slept on was a shiny penny. That, that's very common. Dimes, nickels, a uh-huh. coin, just coins. Yeah, that's, that's very common. You're right. It, it was kind of a like, a, you know, I kind of wish it could have been a silver dollar, but you know, <laughs> I'll take a penny, you know. You're going to manifest, do it right, you know. (laughs) Another thing that people report is when they have, uh, you know, two people have slept in a bed together, that Mm -hmm. um, there will be an indentation in the pillow where the other person normally slept. Absolutely. As though a head had actually indented the pillow. Mm -hmm. That's very common also. And also if, if they have a pet, that has slept on the bed that has passed over, 
they will feel the pet jumping on the bed after it's gone. Yes. Um, yes. That that's that's very common. Um, also, um, music music playing a song playing on the radio over and over again that isn't that isn't a normal song that you would normally hear on certain stations. Um, uh, Patrick, uh, a song that meant a great deal to him was uh, Hotel California, and shortly after he died, I must have heard that dozens and dozens of times on on the radio, or uh, it, it cropped up on TV. It just it was like holy mackerel, you know. He's he is trying to let me know that that he's okay. And you know it it's it's be aware of something happening out of the ordinary that that most people would just slough off, but I don't believe there are such things as coincidences, and I yeah. believe that 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 those on the other side will make every effort possible to let you know that they're okay um a long time ago, I had a a boyfriend, and we had gone to Woodstock and when we got to Woodstock, our, our car was surrounded by the milkweed, the 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 you know the the seeds of the milkweed, and and it was so it was so thick it was unbelievable. And we w- we went into a store and we got something and noticed you know it was all clear. We came out and suddenly were surrounded by these milkweed pods again, and it must have happened five or six times that day. And after he passed away probably about once a year um i will suddenly be surrounded by a cloud of milkweed and you know to my knowledge none of it grows around where i am and yet a cloud of milkweed will surround me and it will be kind of like this is kind of cool this is you know i recognize that is you know that it, it it's it's from him and uh you know, it, it it's kind of uh, it, it makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Um, sure. Also, also allergic because I'm allergic <laughs> to it. But but aside from that, it's a very nice experience. But well, and another thing that is mentioned frequently by people is smelling the aftershave of a man. Oh yeah. You know, the the one that they wear all the time, or the perfume of the woman. Um and strange times and places that you pick up that whiff, and it's like, okay, that's how they're letting me know that they're right here right now. Or if they smoked, you know, to to smell the cigarette smoke when there's no one smoking around them. Yes, that too. Though that's not as common as it used to be, I don't think. Oh, yeah, no. Right. That's a generational thing, I'm afraid. (laughs) But um, yeah, it's it's you know there are so many ways that 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 the energies on the other side do try to let us know they're okay, and and you know you know a full body manifestation, you know while it would be great, um, doesn't happen that often. Sometimes sometimes there are shadows. Sometimes you know there's somebody there. Sometimes people actually get hugs. Um, from behind, but but they get the hugs, and and that's a cool experience as well. It's a transfer of energy, and it gives you the chills, and it makes you feel warm and fuzzy all over at the same time. Yeah, I, I know that uh, 
<laughs> there was a, a medium who came to Mobile. Actually, he was a businessman for many, many years, and mediumship had run in his family. So, and and he uses that term. And so, mutual friends wanted us to meet. And when I met him, I kept talking to him, and I was just totally distracted because I kept seeing another person behind his um, left shoulder kind of looking at me over this man's shoulder. And I said, does this guy <laughs> always travel with you? And he said, what are you? And so I described him, and he said, oh, yeah, other people tell me. I, he said, I usually know when he's there, but he's never let me see him. Oh, my, that's kind of cool. Yeah, so that was that was kind of interesting that – um, and uh, actually, he uh, was from another time period, and I could uh-huh. specify that. All. One of the most interesting things I've ever had happen was when I'm, I met a woman at a conference once, and as I was looking at her, I saw her in three different types of of um, dress, and it was obvious it was in three different centuries. So you were catching her past lives. I guess so, or simultaneous <laughs> lives in different dimensions. But okay. it was yeah. it was it was really it was really a fascinating thing. Um, yeah, I think I think I think this is a field that has in the past had so much sadness connected to it, and yet I'm hopeful that that people are beginning to understand that that it is a joyful experience. Um, once the other one is on the other side, they're they're you know they're at peace. They're full of love. They don't hurt anymore. They they can, you know they they are they are full of of joy. And while we miss them, they do they do communicate with us. They do let us know that they're okay. Sometimes it's it's sometimes they actually do say goodbye. Um, there there have been times when people have experienced a loved one like standing at the foot of their bed or something like that shortly shortly after their death and and you know they've kind of done it to everybody in the family and those that that you know were comfortable enough would share it and you know others would just sit back and think you know well I think that happened to me too but I'm afraid to mention it and, and again that element of of Having people think that you're you're crazy does does, yeah. does enter into the picture. You know, they'll, but, they'll but also it, do interesting things to to let people know they're all right. Many years ago, we we had friends whose um, daughter, who was a senior in high school, very smart, and she'd gone to another city to to uh, check out a couple of colleges, and was in an automobile wreck while she was there, and she was killed. And uh-huh. she had done some babysitting for us, and um, she had asked me about a couple of books on our bookshelf in in the den. And oh, I guess it was a couple of weeks after she had been killed, and to get from my bedroom, <coughs> excuse me, to the kitchen, I had to walk by the den, and it was an open space. And as I approached the kitchen. One of the books that she had asked me about was on the floor. Now, oh. that was about at least six or eight feet away from the bookcase. And it was in a shelf with solid books. 
So it's not the sort of thing that if somebody had, if thunder, which we had had none, had vibrated, I mean, it had been major thunder, but nothing could have vibrated that book off of the shelf. Mm-hmm. It was across the floor. And I was frightened to tell her parents about it because I didn't know if they would. I mean, it was very comforting to me to know that this this precious young thing was was fine. But years later, I wanted to to use that story in something I was writing or speaking about. So I decided to say something to her mother about it, and she said, "Oh, I've always known that." And then she told me some of her own experiences. So that's a good story of mine to help encourage others. Mm-hmm. To talk about their experiences, you you know we we all might be surprised at how many wonderful things have happened to friends and acquaintances, and if you're just willing to speak up and ask or share, then we all might be able to enjoy more of what's to come and what exists now, and that that our loved ones are happy, and then you know that that can help others and it can help during the dying process also you know if you're open that's part of what's in the book that we we haven't talked very much about is some of the things that are are helpful to know when you're responsible for caring for other people um well we've got got half an hour yeah we've got half an hour here so we have half an hour here let's let is let let Let's touch into that because it is a, another important part of the book. Well, some of some of what's in the book that that is important is is just ways to examine yourself and what your skills are and what the skill sets are of the other people who may be helping you with your loved ones as well as all of the medical people and trying to figure out how um, to have the information you need and to let other people lead when they need to and for you to take up the leadership when, when you need to. So there's there's that kind of information. There's also information in the book about learning a little bit about how you communicate because you want to be able to communicate clearly with other people and to understand what other people are saying to you. And we all have different styles um, that we rely on. We rely on. <clears throat> so it gets a little a little bit um, in the weeds, so to speak, for casual conversation like this, but I think it's laid out mm-hmm. pretty, simply, pretty simply in the book so that you have a way to reflect on who's managing the the. Uh, the illness and the family activities during a terminal illness and how you're getting that information across to each other. So there is some of that in the book. It's just a a couple of chapters. And I I do say in the book, if you're in the process of being with someone who's dying now and it's super, super emotional, you may just want to read it lightly and come back later to Mm -hmm. use it another time. Um, well, you know, being in charge, you know, being in charge of um at least in my case I was the only one that was there. So, um you're right, there are whole bunches of things that you have to be aware of 
that that crop up that that kind of can overpower you and and you know the bottom line is you want to make the person as comfortable as possible and as free from stress as possible and and to help them relax into the process that is going on and everything else very frankly takes care of itself eventually um if you have a team it's even better because then you can designate different chores or different aspects because some people are really really good with being you know the the um the mushy person that's there and being kind and compassionate and other people are 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 better at talking to medical practitioners and other people are better at handling the bills so if you've got a team that's fabulous um and 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 if you don't people are usually very understanding about what you're going through and and you know do help as best they can but but you're right there is there is definitely that aspect of it it isn't you know your your priorities of course the person that is that is crossing over and and you do your best to be to be supportive of them in every way you can be um and sometimes it's very challenging and sometimes i mean i i think i went for a couple of years um without really much sleep at all, maybe two or three hours here and there a night, you know, because I was listening to see if I was going to be needed or whatever. But it it can be stressful and it can be tiring, but I will tell you that that at the end of the entire process, you are so grateful you were there to experience and share in that experience. Oh, I totally um, agree. And and you've mentioned an important thing, talking about stress. There's a book that's written years ago, and I think it's in its fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth edition. It's called The 43-Hour Day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for For people like you who did not have someone to share uh, in some of the responsibilities and with someone who... Um, is no longer able to really think for themselves. It mm-hmm. it can it can be exhausting. Um, so and there there are ways to help yourself with that. Um, it's not always as simple in the moment, but if you think about it ahead of time, and that's one of the things for people who don't have someone now who die, all of us are going to have people we love die. Period, mm-hmm. and we're going to die. Period. So um, that's one of the things about going ahead and reading the book, loving to the end and on now, and getting some idea of some of the things that you that may come about, and and how you can help yourself and help the people that you love. And, well, you know, with uh, some of the things you can look for that are funny and fun, and some that are passionate and or full of pathos. It's uh it's it's one of the most intense times of life, you know. Oh, it it is. And and well, I mean, you had you had quite an experience with your father for a while and oh, that was tough sure. on you. Yeah. So was, so, you know, it, well, we go through times where we do the best we can and then we look and think, well, maybe this wasn't the best. Maybe there's a better way to do it and and you know, you were able to to get him into a comfortable place 
at the end of his life so that so that he was comfortable, stress-free, and loved. That's what we all try to do. Well, most of us try to do. Yeah. And, you know, we all have friends who sometimes need relief. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's possible to say, why don't you let me come sit with your mother, for instance, and you just go take a nap. That would have been heaven. <laughs> and I don't think I don't think people understand that it is those simple things that mean so very much at a time like that. Um just so that so that you get a chance to, to get, you know, three straight hours of sleep or uh to go out and get a massage or you know, any number of things. Um it, it, for some reason, when people are going through situations like that, a lot of people feel, oh, well, I'll just, you know, I'll give you space. Well, thanks a lot, but, you know, company would have been nice too. Um, it, it's Some people draw away from you when you're going through something like that, and those are the times that you really want to have somebody you can just talk to about, you know, the Yankees game or a sitcom on TV or just a little bit of a normalcy. You know, you said something really important about um, wishing that they would come. I think sometimes people don't want to, and I'm sort of putting quotations about uh, around this word, to intrude, Uh and they don't realize that it's not an intrusion to just ask. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it just... um... And until you've until you have been through this procedure, you don't have the full richness understanding of of what it is to just to just give that little bit of care, that little bit. I mean, the person who is who is making this transition is is in a, is in a world of their own. You you do your best for them, but they're in a world of their own. And to have somebody come in and and kind of let you know that you're okay too is a good thing. And um, I know that, that there are so many people out there that, of course, the older I get, the more people die. Um, <laughs> Tell me about it. Hey, <laughs> I, I think we're pretty much the same age here. Um, so, so it's kind of like you, you kind of want to share with, others your experience of being with somebody that has passed over that's why i think your book is fabulous because it does it does give so many um different scenarios of people that have passed over and things that have happened and and it gives people it 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 makes it a more common i mean it is a common thing people pass over all the time but it should be something that you can talk about without you know hushing your voice and talking low i mean Sometimes it's hysterical. Sometimes there are fun things that happen. Some well, like like your your dad getting three drinks out of somebody in in one day. Not bad. Um, so so that there there are those times when when their their process is 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 fun that you can laugh about. And I know after my mother passed away, my sister and her husband, my son and my daughter-in-law. And I, um, we went out to dinner, and and um, I, I think my mom had been, she had passed like 
two days, and you know we were we were arranging funeral and stuff like that, and we went out to dinner, and my son, my mother drank Manhattans, that was her drink, and so when they ordered drinks for the table, um, he ordered one for Grandma, and we put it in the center of the table, and I thought that was fine, that was that was a lovely, you know, okay, here's your drink, Mom, and my son picked it up, and I and he wouldn't drink a Manhattan if you paid him, and and he said okay. You have to take a sip and tell a funny story about Grandma. And since I had lived with her for the last 30 years of her life, guess who had the most stories? And, <laughs> and who drank the most Manhattans? <laughs> and I, you know, and and you know, I I finally after I think the, the second one, after it it had made its rounds, and many people would just pass it on, and say I don't have a funny story today, and. So I finally said, look, I don't mind sharing funny stories about mom, but I'm not drinking any more Manhattans because I can't stand them. What a wonderful thing to have done. Yeah, well, you try drinking three Manhattans when you don't drink. No, well, I mean not drinking, but that is just such a creative, personalized thing to have done. And it's such a good example for you. I mean, other people will come up with their with their own things, um, you know, bacon, apple pie, or whatever it is. It may have nothing to do with eating or drinking. It may have going out and going fishing because that's what they uh-huh. like to do. And who can catch the most fish? I mean, whatever. Oh, yeah. But, but you know, it's a celebration. It's a celebration on the other side when the person arrives. And there should be a celebration on this side that they made it. I mean, I think the Chinese have the right idea. When a baby is born, everybody wears black and they mourn because the baby is going to have a long life and is going to have to struggle and is going to have to, you know, do whatever they need to do over over however many years they have. And then when someone dies, everybody wears white to celebrate that they made it through. Well, I think I prefer celebrations at both ends. But oh, I, I'm with you. <laughs> no, 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 I totally agree. I mean, I I think I, I love the way that, that the spiritualists do a baptism, and the baptism is is con, you know confirming the promises the universe has put out there for the spirit to to be involved with and to experience, and and it's it's it it is a joyous thing to start your life knowing that that there is love around you and that there are people that are going to support you and be unconditional and the same thing should be true of of passing you know it's it's like you know you finally made it you know or you beat me or you know you <laughs> must <laughs> well you 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 pass away when you've finished all you came here to do so some people have longer lists than many other people. So um, I had a grandmother that that was ninety. I had a great grandmother that was ninety eight, and my grandmother was ninety one. And she kept saying, "All of my friends are dying. I don't know why God doesn't take me." And and under my breath, I would say, "Because He doesn't want you." And you know, my my mother would give me a dirty look, and I would say to her, "Well, Grandma, I guess you you still have some things to do." And she said, "I can't imagine what I'm perfect." And I said that could be one of the reasons. Maybe he doesn't want perfection. Um, so, but she passed at ninety-one. But, but um, you know, it's it's just it isn't that 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 life is 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 something to be sneezed at. Of course, it's not. But 
that's why we have many and many 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 lifetimes because each of them is another adventure and when you when you finish one adventure you get to start another it's it's not like you you go into nothingness you don't at, at least let, let me put it this way if you don't then a whole bunch of us are very delusional down here on this planet and i don't think that's the case <laughs> Yeah, I think you have a point there, but I think we all have a lot of fun, and we're going to have more fun uh, to come, and Uh um, sometimes those who have um, left before we do give us a, a sense of how much fun we can have, and that's one of the reasons I love telling the story about the the birds that came to visit, I mean. Oh, Yeah. (laughs) It was just one of these strange and phenomenal things that that happen. Well, and, and again, a reminder of something that others would have considered a coincidence. The the um, um, long time ago, uh, I had a lady come to my house for a consultation, and she, um, I had her. Um, in in the room that I I did readings and stuff, and prior to that, um, a mother raccoon had decided to have babies in in our crawl space, and um, because I didn't want anybody killed, we had to wait for the babies to get big enough so that um, they could be trapped and released. And you know during the day everything was quiet. At night, you know they would talk to my mother and chirp to her through the wall and things like that. It was kind of cool. Um, but so this woman was sitting there and she was, she was worried about, you know, was, was her husband, um, Max, you know, there. And I said, well, you know, let's just get in and and we'll see and we'll see if he comes through and, and if he does, then, then terrific. And so, um, suddenly there was this rapping on the wall and she said, is that Max? I said, nope, that's not Max. I, I didn't want to tell her we we had an infestation of raccoons, and and about ten minutes later, um, there was a rapping in the ceiling, and she said, "That's Max. I know that's Max." I said, "Nope, that's not Max. I I I I, I would tell you if it was Max. I'd love to tell you that, so you'd stop worrying." And you know, about fifteen minutes later, there was another rap on the wall. She said, "That." That that has to be Max, and I said honestly, it's not Max. And suddenly, the lamp that had been next to the table flashed on and off three times. Then it flashed on and off three times. Then it flashed on and off three times. And I looked at her and I said, "Now that's Max." <laughs> I love it. Did did she agree? She said. Three was our magic number, and three, three, three was our very much. Ma- you know, she said we bet it all the time. Yes, that was Max, and she was happy, and I was relieved. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, they do come through. I, I think what I was trying to, I, my point being, that they do, they are able to use electronics. They can stop clocks. They can flash lights. They can, they can do all sorts of things from the other side. But you have to be sensitive, you have to be open, and you have to be paying attention to all of these subtleties that happen within your life because if you are aware of them, then spirit has a way of communicating with you that that is really profound. Yeah. Um, A relative of mine has a clock that stopped when her 
husband's, let me, I think it was her husband's aunt died, and it was in a different state from where the clock was. Anyway, the clock stopped at the moment of death. It has never restarted. Wow. They cannot restart it. It is, and and they've kept it. And now the uh, grandchildren just love to show it to their friends <laughs> and tell the story. <laughs> Stop time. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. It, and that, that does happen often, too. Um, they, oh, yeah. It, it is. I I mean I had I had one woman who was so so frightened after her husband passed away and she came to me and she said can you get a hold of him and I said I have no idea I mean if if he comes through you know he'll come through and she said he swore he was going to haunt my uncle and and you know make him leave me money in his will and and she said my uncle's sick and I'm so frightened that 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 he's done something to my uncle and I just looked at her and I said I wouldn't worry. I don't think you're in the will, even if he does croak. And and she she called me a couple of weeks later, and she said, "You're right. I wasn't in the will. It it, it wasn't my husband, was it?" And I said, "No. I think it was your uncle's time." She said, "Well, he left everything to charity, so I guess it's okay." And I said, "Most probably it is." <laughs> But you know, on this thing of of clock stopping and that sort of thing, there are stories across eons when people are away fighting wars. I said eons, Mm -hmm. I should have said generations. Uh, People are away fighting wars, and when someone is killed in battle, the clock at Mm -hmm. home will stop. And they. They learn it, you know, when they're informed, um, and on a um, a more active level, when people are killed in battle, in wars, uh, away from home, dogs. Oh will yeah. Howl. Yeah, they so, do. That is. Yeah, yeah, they know. Our pets do know when when somebody is is. Sick or 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 on the brink, um, and and there are are lots of stories of, of especially dogs. Especially, I, it isn't that cats aren't receptacle. I they don't give a damn. Probably, um, I'm a cat person, uh, but but dogs do seem to have that connection to people they have bonded with. And I know we had a, a German Shepherd that was very bonded to my husband and. When he passed away, it was awful. I mean, Crystal was inconsolable. Um, and we had a, a friend who um, who did animal rescue, and he had a dog. And when, when he passed away, um, the dog just couldn't stand being alone. The dog had to be with, with John's mother because John's mother was so... Um, just just uh, he was, John was only 37 when he passed away mm-hmm. and um she the dog literally needs to have someone with him at all times because the dog just i guess feels um feels the loss tremendously so yeah, it, it they're very they're very sensitive but a story of a dog 
after um, he was gone, they, uh, my parents had a, a, some, a, a number of dogs over the years, but one of them was a really smart dog, oh, amazing dog. And after, and uh, mother was getting um, older, and she would sit on the couch in a certain room and do whatever she was doing. And many, she told me that many times she could sense that he was sitting right by her feet. Mhm. Yeah, they, they. I have, I have. I, I tell people often here at the house. Um, I had a cat, and his name was Smudge, and um, he's he's been with me ever since he passed away. And and I told. My cleaning lady, when she started cleaning, I said, "Look, you're going to every now and then see a gray cat, but it's 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 a it's I guess for want of a better word, I said it's it's a ghost, it's smudge." And you know, she kind of looked at me like I was nuts. And uh, maybe two or three weeks later, she came to me. She said, "I saw smudge upstairs." I said, "Yeah, that's where I used to hang out," and and that was like 15 years ago. And and her sister was here helping her pack something up, and uh, she was saying, "I thought you had only." She said, I, "Her sister said I thought you had three cats here." I said, "Yeah, just three. And she said, "Well, who's the gray one?" And Wendy looked at me and said, "That's the ghost." And, wow. and her sister looked at her like she was crazy. And um, Patrick, when he moved in, I told him about Smudge, and you know he looked at me like I was nuts. And one day he was sitting at the table, and he looked under the table. I said, what's up? He said, this gray cat just walked against me and rubbed against me. We don't have a gray cat, do we? And I said, no, that's Smudge. And and he shows up all the time. So he and, could you know, both he, see him and feel him. Yes. Oh, absolutely. That is yes, profound. Smudge. It's the coolest thing. I'm, I'm, actually, I'm... I'm, I'm Getting ready to move to Nashville. I hope Smudge comes with me because it's it's so cool to have, and and many people see him. They just because there are three other cats in the house, they just assume it's one of the other cats. Except my cats are black and white, and Smudge was gray. <laughs> so if he doesn't come with you, are you, how are you going to find out if he hangs out with the people who are there, who come after you? I should warn them when I sell the house. <laughs> I have his ashes. I'm going to take his ashes with me. Hopefully he'll come with the ashes. <laughs> oh, maybe that'll help him locate you. But I think he yeah, can locate no. you without the ashes. Oh, he was the coolest cat ever. He really was. I mean, I love every. I love all my cats, of course. But um, Smudge was, was unusual, and he was always in trouble, and he was always... He always had a smile on his face, strangely. So I think he's one of those special cats that, that you know, has probably been with me in past lifetimes because he was, he was a very unique cat. Hmm. But I just noticed the time, and we are, we are coming close to being out of time here. I want to remind everybody that the um, title of your book is Loving to the End and On, A Guide to the Impossibly Possible, and... It is a charmingly wonderful book with 
with a, a, a plethora of information at the back with links and books and all sorts of things that, that can help you in, in this time frame. And Lynn's website is www.lynnbrobinson.com. Do check her website out because it is a special a special website, and I, I, I'm hopeful that we have we have put some some loving laughter into a concept that people, you know, kind of want to wear black and and mourn at, which is fine if you want to wear black and mourn, go for it. But but th- there is there is also a, a sense of of celebration and love and light connected to passing away as as well. And, you know, everything has to balance out and, and you have to process things at your own, at your own pace and your own rate, but, but that you're not alone ever and, and that there are people on this side that can help you if you are going through a t- difficult time. And for those who are passing, you know, I, the book gives a tremendous amount of very good information as to how to cope with some of the things that, that do pop up and, it gives you a, a sense of feeling that you're not alone, that, that others have been through this and others have lived through this and others have lived to fight another day. Um, is there is there um, anything you'd like to add to that, Lynn? I just wish people lots of joy and happiness and fun as they embrace goodbye, but welcome, hello, and some new time. I, I think it's it's also it, it's not really a goodbye. It's just till we meet again. Exactly. Because because we do. Um, so I want to thank you so much. This has been a delightful two hours. I it went by really fast. And I appreciate talking to you and and thank you so much for saying the nice things that you have about my book. And I'm so glad you enjoyed it. And I hope that others will and that they'll encourage their friends and physicians and nurses and hospice workers to all take a look at it. And uh, I'd love to hear if it's helped them. Yeah, it, it's a book that's full of love. It's not a, a lot of technical medical stuff. It's, it's, it's definitely loving to another level that is really quite appropriate and terrific. Um, we are out of time. Um, I do thank everybody for listening and for being with us tonight, and hopefully that you'll you'll check out her book because it is something everybody should read and, and um, kind of embrace, hopefully. Um, and if it opens you up just a little bit more so that, so that you're, you have a greater av- availability to the magic that's on the other side, all the better. Good night, everybody. Thanks again, Lynn. Thank you. Good night now.